Hey y'all, welcome to the Stepping Into She podcast. My name is Courtney, the creator of Stepping Into She and your host for this podcast. The segment you are about to listen to entitled Women in Justice talks about and delves into the conversation of women and young girls in the justice system. We get real about conversations around criminalization of black girls and education in the justice system, the pathways to criminalization and confinement for women, the difference between resources and programs available for young boys and young girls, as well as men and women returning home, what justice looks like for young women, how trauma and healing is something that is needed but often overlooked, and so much more. The amazing women that I get to chat with today shared their experience, whether through firsthand experience, education, or on-the-ground work that contributes to the need, education, and advocacy for women in justice and policy change. I hope that you guys feel compelled after listening to this episode to be a part of the solution to get more involved and to advocate for change for women in the justice system. Hey y'all, welcome to this episode of the Stepping Into She podcast. Under the segment Women in Justice, I chat with an amazing woman, Leah Freya, about her experience within the criminal justice system, how she used her experience to be a light for other women, how she's continuing to give back, continuing to grow and glow in her purpose, and ways that you can get involved in the fight for policy change for women in the criminal justice system. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Good morning, good morning. Thank you, Leah, so much for coming on the Stepping Into She Women in Justice segment of the podcast. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today to learn more about you, but then to also talk about some education, advocacy, and next steps. So without further ado, tell us who you are. Introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, good afternoon, listeners. My name is Leah Faria, and I am formerly incarcerated. And it was an honor to be, you know, asked to speak on this podcast because, you know, I, one of the main things that I wanted to do, you know, from the minute I became incarcerated was to share my story. And um, so that's why I'm here today. And I hope that if, you know, you don't take everything away, like you just take something, something that you could take and you can share with somebody else and just kind of pay it forward. Yes. Thank you. So I do want to ask you really quickly before we kind of get into your story is some of the amazing things you're doing now. So you are a part of an amazing organization. Can you tell us a little bit about that, what you do and kind of the purpose behind it? Okay. Well, um, I'm currently the program's um, coordinator for a little piece of light Inc, which is a women led organization where we provide services and resources to um, justice and trauma impacted young women adult women, as well as gender fluid individuals. Our um, motto is just basically to keep the focus in like reducing the harm because we've all been through, you know, the system or, you know, dealt with some kind of trauma. And we just want to be able to like empower the women, empower the individuals that enter our doors, who we come in contact with. And it's just very important for us to, um, to just create that safe space. So that's just like really where we're at. And um, I'm also a certified first aid and CPR instructor. And I, um, so my goal also is to kind of like educate the communities because I feel that, you know, when we look, talk about like the, I'm not even going to go and say just black and brown because just the minority community, 
Um, we think about when COVID took place and how, you know, the response kind of like pulled away from the minority community as much as it did for the privileged. And um, a lot of, you know, strokes, a lot of heart attacks happen within the home. So my goal is to like really educate, you know, the inner communities so that that way they could, you know, like be more um, solution based, you know, within themselves, you know, instead of waiting on the ambulance to come, they could step in and have that, that, you know, that knowledge to be able to like, you know, provide that first response. So, um, so I'm working also with an organi organization called Safety Saints. And um, I'm going to like try to collaborate with um, a lot of nonprofits, you know, because it is a certification. So like for women or even men coming home, you know, formerly incarcerated, trying to like really put some tools on their tool belt is something that they can, you know, obtain and utilize it on a resume for like further, like, you know, work experience and stuff like that. Awesome. That's amazing. I love, I love, 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 love all of that. So we'll definitely talk a little bit of a little bit more about that um, on the podcast, but I know you said you wanted to share your story. So I want to ask you to kind of talk to us a little bit about your story, share some of that. And then we, um, and then kind of, we can transition into some, some of the other things that I know you wanted to talk about. So let's start there. Okay. Well, on July 9th, 1997, I was arrested for homicide. And to this day, I still, you know, I'm still like a little like, you know, um, I, I want to say kind of baffled as to, you know, how I ended up in that situation. Because, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that nobody wakes up and says like, oh, I want to go to prison today. Or, you know, but it was something to where I now realize is that I was, you know, really trauma impacted and I didn't have the resources as a young girl. I was 23 years old when I went to prison um, and I didn't really realize that I was exposed to so much trauma. You know, growing up, my family background is West Indian. So we pretty much grew up with whatever happens in the home stays in the home. So I grew up in a, a domestic violence, you know, environment where my dad abused my mom. And, you know, and, and to me, as a young girl, I always vowed that, oh, that would never be me. But not really realizing how impacted I was behind that, you know, through that abuse. And it became a repeated cycle. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, honestly, it took for me to go to prison for me to be able to utilize that time that time to like really get to understand where I came from, how I got to where I was at and where I want to be in the future. Right. So, so that's pretty much what it was, you know, me entering prison, you know, trauma impacted, you know, now justice impacted and just really trying to, you know, real, like to kind of work on what led me to the situation that I was in. Mm -hmm. And um, so I utilized that time to get my education, to align myself with women who were of the like mind. And um, instead of me thinking about the 21 years to life sentence that I had, I thought about the next day mm. and how I was gonna be able to get through the next day. And um, I just realized that in that moment when I got to the state facility was that you know, entering those gates, I entered one person. I didn't want to leave back out the same person I was when I entered. So I realized that the change had to come from me. 
So I kind of, you know, looked at myself as um, the metamorphosis process. And I I get emotional, but um, I saw myself as like a, a broken caterpillar. And then by the time I was released, I was a beautiful butterfly. And um, I realized, you know, throughout the process of becoming a better me, that I also had a passion to help others. Mm-hmm. And that in turn became what my focus was for about the past 18 years. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like, you know, the only way that I was able to kind of give back for the wrong that I did was to help others through helping myself and, um, to kind of pay it forward. Yeah. You know, like I kind of took myself out of the equation and I focused on how I could make a difference in the lives of so many other women um, that were trauma impacted and justice impacted. And so it was like really no surprise when I was released, what direction I was going with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up entering um, a, a, a employment opportunity where we provided first aid service to the restaurants. And at the beginning, I realized, I was like, well, you know, is this really what I want to do? But then I also realized that so many, you know, black and brown individuals are the individuals that work within restaurant kitchens, you know, that are so like underappreciated. And so I found another way, another space to, you know, be able to impact other lives, you know, to just be able to like, share the best part of me with other people. And um, so it was rewarding and I became certified in CPR and first aid. So, you know, it just, it's just another way that I could, you know, empower other individuals, you know, with the, the, the skills that I've you know, I'm acquired throughout the years. So this is just me. Now I just live my life daily, just pretty much helping people. You know, I was just telling my mom yesterday about, I was in the street and an older lady came up to me. She said, miss, can you help me get a cab? You know, I had surgery. I can't walk to the hospital, which is a few blocks away. And no cab was in sight. And just out of instinct, I said, you know what? I owe you an Uber. And she said, what do I owe you? I said, you owe me nothing. What's your presence? And I said, Whew, I get emotional. But I said, you know, I treat people how I want to be treated. And, um, It was just a blessing for me. So, and that's just how I try to live my life. Yeah, I love that. I love, I love that. And I love how you talk about your metamorphosis and transformation. I think, I think that is amazing. It's, it's amazing. Um, I do want to ask you, because you touched on it a little bit when you first started telling your story about how trauma impacted you were. And I think when we have conversations about women in justice, we, we sometimes forget that a lot of um, the pathways, as people call it, like the pathways of, of criminalization start from trauma and the survival of trauma and all of that. So kind of thinking back on it now, if you could, how, how, how do you feel in this moment um, about understanding that trauma and how you have moved past it? Um, I think that, well, what really helped me to move past it is really understanding the resources that females in as a whole 
have to resources when they are trauma impacted, you know, so it allowed me to be, you know, more empathetic towards my mom Mm -hmm. who, you know, who chose to stay, you know, or, you know, or who felt that that was the best that she could do. So, you know, I mean, it's really about educating myself and like really understanding and putting myself in other, you know, in other shoes and realizing that how important my role as a resource is today for uh, for like really the youth because I was young, you know, and a lot of the resource that I needed wasn't there. So for me, that's really like a goal to be that resource, whether I'm in, you know, a human form, you know, for a lot of the youth today and just women in general, you know, I mean, I don't like to be biased because of course, if I can help a male, but I just feel like women, mothers, like, you know, we just need it so much more. And um, because we just have a whole emotional dynamic within us that is, you know, the nurturing, everything that is just so much different than the males. And I think that we need it more. Like for so many years with like a patriarchal society, we have been, you know, ignored. So now it's like, I feel like it's our time to shine. So, you know, I just feel like just, you know, educating and just being more empathetic and understanding to, you know, the trauma that people go through and just realizing that everybody's situation is different and um, just really like being aware. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I, I want to ask you about, you said um, while you were, while you were incarcerated, you did do some programs for education and stuff. Talk a little bit about that transformation that you experienced. Um, but let me back up. How, <laughs> where, what mind space were, were you in when you were kind of like, I want to make this change? Was it easy? Was it hard? Were you, did it take a while? Were you, was you just like, you know what, this is what I want to do. How were you able to kind of get to that, to the other side? Because I think even sometimes when we talk about just life in general, it's so hard to make a transition, to make a change. So talk a little bit about that space you were in. I think the fact that I had so much time and just time, you know, we have a saying in, in prison that, you know, you have to do the time and not let the time do you. So it's like, just really, you know, what I, what I respected back then was how the institution itself was designed because once, you know, we, we got to reception, once we got there, the first individuals that we saw were our peers coming in, interacting with us and saying, Hey, listen, this is available. You know, if you, you know, you need a mentor or whatever, you could see me outside, you know, so it was very, you know, welcoming, but at the same time, you know, they have this saying, they, they send you to prison to be rehabilitated, which we all know that's just something that you have to decide for yourself, whether you want to change or not. Mm-hmm. And I have to be honest, one of the things that I thought about when I first got to prison was the fact that in order for me to be released, I had to go before parole board and they, they, they view, view you in such a manner that if you went before them the way you were when you came in, you know, it would have been, it would have been hard for them to say, you know what, let me release her. So that was an added initiative for me to like really jump on board and say, you know what, now it's now or never, you know, it's now or never. So, you know, and I had the privilege of having, you know, peers that were there before me, 
that kind of took me under their wings, you know, and said, you know what, you know, this is an option for you. You know, you could get involved with, you know, doing the good things or you could get involved with doing the bad things. And honestly, I was just never, you know, it was very unfortunate that I ended up in prison, but I was just never somebody that, you know, looked for trouble. So it was kind of easy to decide, you know, well, let me, let me try to, to make the best of it. And, you know, it was also something that was like, you know, um, like therapy for the mind, you know, because, you know, a lot of the programs, actually a lot of the programs that are in prison today for the females are prison. I mean, programs that, you know, I was involved with creating, you know, so it, it, you know, and which is very rewarding, you know, in itself. You know, so it's like the female, that's one thing about the female population. You know, you have a lot of, you know, women that have resilience that, you know, want to make a better, you know, want to become better, want to make a change, want to make a difference. And this is the community that stepped up, you know, that we stepped up and we, you know, created programs, created programs for like mothers where, you know, they could, you know, if they didn't have a relationship with their children, they can create one and then we help them maintain it. You know, so it was like really a sisterhood more so than, you know, an institution. And to me, that's a big difference, you know, between the male and the female population. And um, but it was it, it, it was something that, you know, I had, like I said, I was on Rikers Island for three years before I was sentenced. So I did have time before I was sentenced to really like get my thoughts together on like, you know, it was a no brainer that I was going upstate. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, Leah, when you get there, what are you going to do? You know, so I I did have the time, but for me, I felt like the time itself, you know, everything kind of, you have nothing but time. You don't have like the, 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 the uh, responsibility of of paying bills, you know, taking care of your kids. So it's the time being able to have the time to really like get into yourself to like really work on what needs to be worked on within yourself. And that's one of the things that I was able to do with the time. So you talked about some of the programs that you helped develop. Tell us a little bit about, tell us some of those programs that you were instrumental in creating for, for women who, who were, who were there. So I, um, I've always been like a big girl. But I also know that me being, you know, overweight girl was something that kind of messed with my self-esteem and it put, you know, being out here in society, you always, you know, back in the days you saw what the ideal image was, you know, and if you wasn't in that, you know, you were looked at differently, you know, being young, the boys that look at you as often. So, you know, you kind of settled, you know, you kind of settled it for me, keeping it on the eye. Like I kind of like, you know, allow myself to accept certain things that I wouldn't have if I had more self-worth. So for me, you know, I wasn't, you know, a, a doctor, medical doctor, but that was something I also got into, which was like health, health, you know, so and fitness, fitness was something that helped me do my time. When I wanted to lash out at somebody, I went to the gym, you know, and I created a fitness program with one of my peers called Grindhouse Fitness and it was something that was rewarding because it allowed me to help other women, you know, help boost their self-worth in, a, in, in, a, in an institution where it's designed to just snatch everything from you. So that's, you know, and then that was one program. Then I created um, anger management programs. 
because um, that's something they mandate you to do. If you have a violent crime, they mandate you to partake in, you know, participate in anger management programs. But I was able to really put a twist on the curriculum, you know, to give it more towards the needs of females, more so than of males. Hmm. Um, I was able to um, create parenting programs. When I went to prison, my son was one years old. And I came home, my son was married, I'm a grandmother, you know, so just being able to deal with that emotionally and mentally for that length of time, you know, it's, it's you know, and a lot of my peers, their children were in the system, you know, I was fortunate to at least have my family there, but it's something that is snatched from you when you are separated from your children. So for me, it was very important for me to surround myself with the component of the facility where I was able to like create curriculums to help mothers be able to like, you know, work with the caretakers of their children on the outside, whether it be through the foster care system or whether it be with a family member, you know, just being able to have that relationship to maintain it and to be able to build on it for the sake of their children, you know, as well as for them, you know, being able to parent from behind prison walls, people sometimes think it's impossible, but you can create and maintain such a beautiful relationship with your children. And you can also become role models for your children, you know, through your experience. And that was like a goal for me to help women be able to become to to that level of relationship with their children. And a lot of, for a lot of the years, I put myself on the back burner. You know, I felt like, you know, I was good, you know? So my focus was about helping other people, you know, making sure that when they came on a visit with their children, that they, if their kids didn't have money, that food was there in the visiting room for them so that their kids would feel comfortable and not have to sit there and watch other kids eating and be hungry. So I kind of like really took myself out of the equation and um, really, really allow myself to be that beacon of light for so many other women. Hmm. That's really powerful. That's very, very, very powerful. Um, and I, I know you're getting emotional just talking about it, but I do want to point out, I think it's, it's amazing that you were able to create these, create these curriculums and programs and sitting and listening. In my mind, it seems like some of these things would just be a given, right? It'd be something that should be there. And, you know, listening to you say you had to put that in place through your own experience and kind of like being that light for other people really shows that there is a, there's still a need for some change, a lot of change. <laughs> and but there are also there's also the ability to be a part of that change and and, and create that. So I think it's amazing that you're a, you were able to do that for other women, because I think sometimes, like you said, it people assume you can't do things when you're incarcerated. You can't do things in a certain way, but you can. There's just ways ways that it can be done. So for you to be able to find that, you know, while while there to also help other women, but it seems like it also helped you too. <laughs> it it did. You. Yeah. It did. And to this day, I was having a conversation with some of my coworkers and I told them, I said, that is what you know, keeps that passion going, that that fire inside of us going is the fact that we're always going to be a work in progress. But as long as we, you know, we're in the space of helping people, we're always going to be helping ourselves. And 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 that's really what it is. That's really what it's about, you know? So I know you talked about a little bit, there were some programs that you did that you that you were a part of, um, not just developing, but a part of 
Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I think something was called ICB. Oh, the IOC. IOC. Um, like, yeah, back when they had like ad the Attica riots, you know, within the facilities back then, back in the days, um, and a lot of, you know, people were injured. They start, they created the inmate liaison committee, which was where you would have like a selection of individuals within the facility inmates. Well, you know, I would say my, I would say offenders because I, I don't like the term in, inmates, but you know, my peers and myself, we were like a group of women who were um, selected by the majority of the population to represent them. So we were like the, the go-to for the administration. So any issues that, you know, we were dealing with, you know, on, on our side in the population, they brought their issues to us and we presented them to the administration. And um, so that's really what it was, you know, and that's how they were able to pull away from so much violence within, within the correction facilities is having like this platform where our concerns were, you know, discussed with the administration. Like they couldn't go to like every individual in the, in the facility. So we had like this, this, this designated, you know, selection of individuals that were the ones that, you know, whether it be five or seven that were the individuals that sat with the administration, discussed the concerns, you know, and formulated solutions that we would then report back to population and say, listen, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going, you know, what's in place. Like right now, when COVID took place, that was something that was very crucial because, you know, in the blink of an eye, it was like everybody was confined to the unit, no more programs, no more visits, you know, so you're just sitting there like what's going to happen. So anything that came down from Albany, it was the responsibility of the executive administration to meet with the IOC to say, listen, this is what it is. This is how things are going to go. You know, as far as like PPE, you know, this is, you know, any, any, you know, direction, anything that's being implemented through the facility was to be, you know, directed towards these individuals. And then they would in turn go to the units and say, you know, ladies, this is what's going on. And that, you know, was how it's supposed to go. I was released a few years ago, so I'm not really um, sure, like, you know, how they do it now. But I do remain, you know, in close contact with certain individuals in the maximum facility. Mm -hmm. And so that way we can, you know, on the outside could know the concerns of the women. And we advocate you know, for the women on the inside, we provide like at a little piece of light, we provide like care packages. We have a pen pal program where, you know, because it, it, a lot of women don't get male in prison. And that's a big disparity between the female and the men. I remember when I had, you know, a loved one incarcerated, the line with the women lining up with the packages to go see the men was never ending. And it's so different for the females. Mm. It's like, it's so true to the out of sight, out of mind, you know, theory, when it comes to the females, the main, the main visitors for the females are family, you know, and, and if you're in a, if you're eight, you know, female prison, prison period is like an aging population, you know, so if you've done 20 years in prison, you know, how old are you and how old are your parents? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so your, your level of support, decreases as the years go on and it's very unfortunate that you see that the male support is not really there for the females whereas the females are always there holding the guys down and it's, it's disheartening because you know we never expect to be in certain situations but if, if it unfortunately if it happens to know that you know 
you can't really, you know, count on your counterpart to like really be there to hold you down. It is very disheartening. You know, even when it comes to the kids, you can't even rely on a lot of the males to step up and take care of the kids if something happens to you. Yeah. You know, and it is it's, it's something, but it's also something that empowers you. It empowers you because once you're released, you try to do everything in your power to make sure you never, ever give the system another second of your life because you know that these are the unfortunate circumstances that you will have to endure if you are reincarcerated. So it, it, it's like, you know, it's sad, but it's also empowering because it puts that fire in your tail, you know, to like say, listen, I know what I got to do. You know, if, 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 if it's not happening for me, I got to make it happen. You know, so it's like by any means necessary because failing is not an option. Mm-hmm. And you touched on something that I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about is this out of sight, out of mind thing. I think some, when we have conversations about criminal justice reform or just incarceration in general, it's very male dominated. So I think, I think people may assume that whatever, like the same services and um, support that males, men get in prison, that women get the same thing. But it's, it's, it's always shown that there's a, still a disparity in that. And even when you're talking about, you know, just visitation or talking about program services or even a gym, we're talking about fitness, right? <laughs> like yeah. those things right there are, are, are disparity. So I'm think, I think about, you know, the conversation um, about closing Rikers Island, right? That was something that came up in a, in a task force conversation um, talk a little bit about, like, from your experience, um, why that is, why do you, from, un, from your experience, why is it an out of sight, out of mind thing? And how do we start to change that? I think a lot of, a lot of it has to do with the fact that because we are in this like, patriarchal society, society does not know, they're not educated enough to know how to deal with the trauma that a lot of the female, the women um, endure, mm-hmm. you know, with the men is like, you know, just like with the men, they grow up, they, they raise them not to cry. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's the disparity, you know, or the, the, how you say it, the, in the, the difference comes in where they, they're not educated enough to know how to, you know, to provide the resources, you know, because everything is so much more catered towards the men, you know, the men are the majority, you know, when it comes to, I mean, and when you look at statistic wise, you don't really have that many women going back to prison, you know, especially if you serve a long sentence, right. you know, and, and that's the thing. A lot of when, you know, they just design these programs from Albany, everything is mainly catered towards the male population, you know, which is in a way to just kind of like show society, oh yeah, we did this. We locked them up. We threw away the key for this amount of time and we did these programs to show you, oh yeah, the, the state, uh, the, we're doing something. Right. And it's so surface that, you know, that is horrible because it doesn't get to the core of, you know, why somebody went to prison, you know, what it is that, what were the circumstances that led them to their situation? And one thing about the female population, the majority of the women that are incarcerated go to prison for circumstances, mm. you know, whether it be behind a man, whether it be behind, you know, being abused, you know, sexually molested, you know, or just, you know, just really being abandoned, you know, and, and, and instead of like the, just the judicial system looking at the circumstances or the individual and their circumstances, everything is like, um, 
everything is like it's like just you know put on a chart you know everybody is looked at as, as one and everybody's situation is different and i think that this is why i mean it has for the women the women of ourselves we stepped up inside the prisons and made a change but and the sad thing about it too like i was speaking about earlier like a lot of the the, the, the main thing that they did when I went to prison was the first thing they did was offer you medication. And they're, they, because their focus is to, to have you do the time and create as, the least amount of havoc as possible within their facility. Mm -hmm. So if we, excuse my French, if I'm making up a word, we zombify them, you know, then we don't have to worry about it. We have to do less work because they're not even going to be in touch with who they are. And it's unfortunate because that is what creates a lot of the the um the friction within the female population because you know where you want it to be unified a lot of times people opt to be medicated so that they don't have to deal with the situation like the circumstances will let them to prison but what does that do when you are released right you know it still leaves you know and i and i have had you know friends that were sentenced to you know sentences and they did exactly that they went to prison and either they say you know what i'm here to do my time i'm not going to get an education i'm not going to you know take any programs because it wasn't mandated you know they just basically did the time and they were released and they were slapped in the face with the reality of all the issues that led them to prison whether it was issues with their children you know you, you go to prison, your children are, are kids, you come home, they're adults. But those issues that led you to prison are still there. Right. If you don't work on them, it's not going to disappear. You may numb it for a minute, but it's still there. So now, you know, and unfortunately, it does happen. So for us on the outside, being formerly incarcerated, we're the ones now to try to be there for our sisters when they're released, you know, to be able to like, prop them up to say, listen, you may have this going on. You may have these issues with your kids, but we know about this program over here that can help you. We know about these resources over here because we know oftentimes a lot of people go to prison and they don't take advantage of the programs because they feel like either they don't have the energy, the oomph to do it because they're still traumatized from years of abuse or whatever it is that led them to prison and they're afraid. They're either afraid to deal with it or they just, you know, they just don't want to deal with it. And it's just real, it's really hard, you know. So it's like the state itself, you know, they're not educated on what the traumas are that women at mothers face. You know, it's just like you ask somebody, you you I, I mean, literally, I went to court and the DA, like the DA and the judge, everybody's just like, Well, you were abused, why didn't you leave? So that is the ignorance that you're faced with. You know, I mean, I mean, fortunately, now you have like, you know, with the Brooklyn DA's office, you have different components within the system that deal with like domestic violence. You see, they have the new domestic violence law. But, you know, I mean, like just imagine for them to be so ignorant to, to, to ask somebody a domestic violence, you know, survivor. Well, why didn't you leave? Right. You know, and not really understand the dynamics why, you know, people going through domestic violence don't leave. You know, so it, it's it's really kind of like being uneducated, you know, behind like what the 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 needs are, you yeah. know, for the women. So that's why you know we fight now to close Rikers Island because 
I mean, I feel like it's it's no need. It's no need to warehouse people on Rikers Island when you're just having them there. You're not providing them with the resources that they need so that when they are released, that they do not come back to prison. Right. That should be the goal of prison. It shouldn't be, oh, we're going to give you a little, a, a low sentence like they do with the men. They literally give the men less time because they know it's more a revolving door for them. So I say, oh, we could give you two years because you'll be back. But we're going to give this female right here 30 years because we know when she leaves, she won't come back. Mm. And that's the thinking that they do. You know what I mean? The same crime, you know, same, same, you know, um, penal codes and, You'll see that you'll see like, why is this man getting 10 years and I'm getting 25? But because they know I'm unlikely to to, to come back to prison, whereas this male, you know, is going to go home, commit another crime. Because once again, on the men's side, we're their resources. You know, you know, when you see somebody that's formerly incarcerated commit another crime, the first thing they say on the news is, oh, yeah, he has 20 prior arrests. Instead of real, instead of sitting back and say, you know what, what do we do for this person when they came out of prison to, to put them in a better situation? So maybe they didn't have to go and rob somebody, mm-hmm. you know, so, and, and these are the this is the the, 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 the mind frame that we are fighting to change, yeah. you know, to have people really look at, you know, the individual, look at the circumstances, look what led a person to commit a crime in the first place, because if you if you could tackle that from the core then you won't have to have probably have so many people committing crimes mm-hmm. because you provide them with the services that they need before they resort to that level of, 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 of um, behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And something you said with um, giving men less time because it's a revolving door and giving women more time because they know they can't come back that I'm processing that. It's really, that's really deep because it makes you, it really makes you sit back and think it's really, you know, it's, it's just an injustice. An injustice. Yeah. And just to think that that is the mindset of that, but then also I think the, the, this, this, um, disadvantage, or I would say the, um, the disparity in terms of sentences for men and women to give a woman more time, because you know, that her level of recidivism is so low or that she's not going to return, that is an injustice right there, right? Sure like just in that, in saying it that, is. understanding that. It, it is. And instead of saying, you know what, you know, this is their first offense, you know, because you, you don't have any hist- prior history to say this person is going to reoffend. Right. So why not go and say, you know what, this, you know, it's unfortunate that they're here, but let me give the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, they've never been in trouble before. You know, they're single parent, you know, they are educated, like some, not, they, it's like, they, they don't look at what clicks. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it, it doesn't make sense. You have to say something transpired. If this person has never been in trouble, this person comes from a good home. This person is educated. This person has never been on drugs. Something is not adding up. Something is not, it, it's like, why not take the time to let somebody evaluate and say, what's going on? What happened? And take that into account and just and not just look at the the, uh, the, the immediate crime, the immediate offense. Because right. just like I said, no, I, I really don't feel unless they're like a psycho that anybody wakes up in the morning and say, oh, today I'm going to go and commit a crime. Today I'm going to go and harm somebody. Mm. You know, I really don't think people want to get up and say today I'm going to harm myself. Right. 
it's a cry. It's a cry. And you know what I mean? Like, and it's like, and it's sad because in prison, that's what you have. You have so many people crying, but they're not being heard. Mm. So that's the, it's like, and that's the sad thing about it. So it's so important for me and my peers for even like a lot of these nonprofit organizations that are out here with services for, you know, the formerly incarcerated to like, to be that voice, to be yeah. that platform for the individuals incarcerated because you you don't have a voice. You know, you you feel like it. You may have one, but you feel like you're crying out and nobody's listening. So mm-hmm. this, this is why it's so important to be that beacon of life for people out here, uh, that's incarcerated. So we really try to to really like support the women at behind the wall still, you know, and even the people coming out because it's so needed. And um, I just think back to myself and how many days I thought that I would never come home, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like the, the, the mental people don't realize that doing time is not physical because you could be out in the street and be imprisoned. Mm. Doing time is mental. If they can grab a hold of your mind, it's, it's a wrap. Yeah. So once you are able to like realize that, Mm-hmm. You are a step ahead of the system because you can say, you know what? If I don't give them my mind, they could do whatever they want to do to me, but they don't have me. Yeah. So that's key to really like educate people to realize that doing time is mental. It, it is you're physically in prison, but the trauma you endure in prison is all mental. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, what I mean, so it's important to get involved, you know, with the programs. It's, it's important to educate yourself because we already come out the door is being discriminated against. But the more you have on your tool belt is the, is, is the less that they can mess with you, yeah. you know? And, and the more opportunities that you could, you know, more doors you could kick open because, all right, I may have that red flag, but I got these these skills. I have this knowledge as well. So now what, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's like really, really like encouraging people because some people don't even know, you know what I mean? Some people don't know. Mm. You said so many things that I want to, <laughs> I want to touch on, but before <laughs> that was okay. Before that, I, I do want to ask one question, kind of going back to the out of sight, out of mind term that you use. And I think, like I said, one of the things that we always, when we see issues or concerns or injustices, like I said, we always see it from the male perspective. When we're talking about women incarcerated and the injustices that happen, is there a, is, are they the same? And I guess the question is not just, are they the same, but what is the, what is the difference that, that makes it seem so unnoticed? And I know you said education, but I'm wondering if there is, there is, if it's just a different I just think so much is geared towards the men, yeah. you know, I mean, even down to the clothes that we are forced to wear as women in prison, they are men, they are male issued uniforms. Mm. They, don't create, they don't create, um, um, state greens designed to, to, for the females. Mm. No, we are forced to wear sizing and, and uniforms that are designed for the men by the men, you know? And it, it's like, because everything like, I guess, you know, they feel like it's such a small population, but what they fail to realize is more women are becoming incarcerated because of the lack of resources that are out here. 
you know, so like where it might have been a small um, number of women incarcerated, the number is growing, you yeah. know, and it's sad, but everything is, is pretty much geared towards the men, mm. you know, and that's why a lot of times when it comes to resources, you know, you might find like, you know, a lot of the men coming out, you know, more equipped, you know, more equipped than the women, you know, you have, I mean, it's unfortunate, but you have a lot of, a lot of men that, they they fight the the fights are different you know i mean a lot of times where um in the female population the system allows females to take the focus off of what is important you know what i mean i've like me and a lot of my peers that we represented the population on the ioc you know you have like a certain um like a fund like an ioc fund of money that you can utilize to better the population. So me and a lot of my peers that were long-termers, we would say, you know what? We have to think about better health care for the women. So we want to make sure they had better equipment in the hospitals. We want to make sure that the housing units had ice machines for like the women when their family sacrificed and sent packages that they could at least preserve the food, you know? But then you also had individuals that were not doing as much time as you that had different concerns, you know, where they felt it was important to get uh, makeup in the package room, you know, or to get printed underwear, you know, so like the fight altered and that's where it really doesn't alter so much with the men. The men have a more of a, you know, cause they do different time, you know, so their fight, their issues kind of stay consistent. Whereas with the female, we may have consistent issues, but it's who is in place to fight for these issues. Th that changes. Yeah, that changes, you know, yeah. and just the just the core of the needs of the of the concerns are different for women in general. <laughs> Sanitary concerns, you know, you you're dealing with a, a, a male dominated environment, you know, like docks and you have the females come. So you have inadequate sanitary pads being given. You have, you know, and, and even for the needs the the quality of what they give you, you know, as a female is it the quality is, is less, yeah. you know? So, I mean, like, it's very hard for somebody that's, you know, in prison, a female in prison that doesn't have the outside support and you have to solely, you know, rely on what the state provides you because that level of, that level of provision is like crappy, you yeah. know? So, you know, so it, it is sad. It, it really is sad. But like you said, the whole level of care, the whole level of care, medical care, you know, it's, it's different for the females than the men, you know, women, you know, women have different issues. You know, you have, I have never in my life seen so many of my um, peers, you know, suffer with fibroids. And I was like, what is this? I was so uneducated on what caused these things. I was like, you know, what is this? They're giving something in the food, like uh, something in the diet that they're serving us. Uh, is, it, is this causing so many of my peers to have fibroids? You know what I mean? And it's like they were diagnosing some of the women with cancer and they didn't have cancer. So they were trying, they were over traumatizing. Yes. The women, the, the medical staff was so inadequate that they were misdiagnosing women for years. And the women were like, I mean, and then it was like, then what? Like, what were they supposed to do with that? Yeah. If you didn't have outside support, what do you do with that? Right. 
Right. You know, so it is it, and it goes back to when we were talking about the outside support. Whereas the male population, you go to a male visit room or any day that they have a visit is packed with women, with children. You go to the female visit room on any given day, it's different. Mm-hmm. And what does that do? What does that do to a female? What does that do to somebody that's a nurturer? You know, naturally, what does that do when when you're so used to nurturing others and you can't get that in return? Yeah, yeah, that's hard. That's 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 a lot. That's a lot. Um, so you talked a little bit about the services and support on the outside, and you said now you are a part of that, and that's something that you're looking to give back. What when you? decided to get into that what was the driving force was it just you understanding and knowing like this is needed and kind of wanting to be a part of that I know you said you wanted to be that light how were you able to say this is what I wanted to do and kind of like jump into it and really just like excel like you're doing so good like so many you're doing so many amazing things um because I know like you said like you mentioned earlier the services obviously and supports for men are different for women so how important was it for you to know that you had to to be a part of that change and a part of that advocacy and call for, for change? Well, my thing is I've always wanted to work with um, survivors of domestic violence mm-hmm. because that's my background. And um, so, so it really was like a no-brainer for me. When I first came home, I was actually, um, I wanted to come home and be a physical trainer you know, for just survivors of domestic violence, you know, because it's, it's a lot of um, um, different components that go to that. You know what I mean? Like you go to the gym, you know, a lot of people are intimidated. You know, they may be a big girl and you go into a gym with all these people that are, you know, fit, you know, and, and you may shy away from that. So my thing was, you know, I wanted to have a whole different space for that. You know, and another thing is I, I am biased. I love the youth. You know, I love the youth because I feel like they are the future tomorrow. And I feel like if we could nurture them and cultivate them at a young age, you know, just imagine what the sky's the limit for them. So I, you know, started working with a lot of the youth when I came home. Right now, I facilitate um, a young women's group, you know, twice a week, you know, and the age ranges from 14 to 23. Hmm. And um, it's, 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 you would never even imagine, you know, how safe they feel within the environment, you know, and I think that me, you, me being vulnerable enough to utilize my personal experience is what grabs them. Mm-hmm. Because when they look at me, they're like, you, you, you never, you don't look like you've been in prison, let alone 22 years, you know? And so I tell them, I said, but looks are deceiving. Don't let that look fool you, but also look at everything that I've done and know that if I can do it, you can do it too. Hmm. So for me, it's about really grabbing onto the youth. And that's what I do in, in any capacity that I can get them, I'm taking them. And, you know, because a lot of the young women, you know, when it comes to like, I, I teach them about trust. I teach them about like, you know, you don't just trust everybody. Hmm. You know, I teach them about self-worth, like knowing your body. A lot of the, the young women, you know, they don't realize that they might have an STD and just like go with it, you know, like I, I keep it wrong with them. I let them know, know your body, know your surroundings. Don't trust everybody. Like, you know, what are the seven elements of trust? You know, like just kind of breaking it down to them. I teach them about civic engagement, getting involved because a lot of the youth have not been outside of the parameters of their projects. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we teach them about different cultures. We teach them about different outings, take them to um, Brooklyn, you know, botanical gardens, like just to expose them to different things, you know, different types of foods, you know, like just to kind of like bring them outside of their everyday norm and just let them know that it can be done, you know, and we definitely support them. You know, we provide them with resources, whether it be like to um, learn how to create a resume, you know, know how to like, you know, dress in etiquette for an interview, you know, so it's like we really work with the youth and um, just try to like get them in line with like, listen, we want you to succeed, mm-hmm. you know, and we're here to be that resource to help you to succeed. And in the process, my goal is with a lot of the information I share with them that they take it home and they share it with their family, they share it with somebody else, you know, because it's always each one teach one. So mm-hmm. that's like the big thing for me. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned and I kind of want to chat with you about is you said you kind of put yourself on the back burner to inspire and be a light for other for other women. How were you able to kind of get to a point where you were putting yourself out there and sharing your story and kind of, you know, being a light, not just for other people, but for yourself as well? Girl, I still ask myself that today. People <laughs> ask me, they're like, well, how? You know, I've, I've prepared, physically prepared people for their release for years. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, I couldn't do that because I would always want to say, well, I wish it was me. You know, I don't, I, I wish it was why well, I'm not being released. Mm-hmm. And it was just a selflessness about me. I don't even really know how I was able to do it and just always have a smile. I think one of the things that I mentioned earlier was I always felt bad for, for like, you know, my circumstances that led me to prison. And I always, you know, always thought about like, well, I knew I could never rewind time and change what happened, but I was like, I could do something, you know? I mean, like I could become a better me and I could just like live my life doing good. And that's like, to me, my past experiences, my circumstances is is what kind of like molded me Mm -hmm. to like be like the resource for other people. And it's like, because I never wanted to see somebody else go through what I went through. Yeah. So, I mean- and I didn't, I didn't get the packages. I didn't um, get the mail. You know, I pretty much lived off the state. But I created value in myself. You know, so it was like, and I was like so respected mm-hmm. and so appreciated by my peers, by staff, you know, because it was never about me. Yeah. Mm. And that was, that was like the driving force. For that was, and, that, and that's what it is today. That's what drives me. You know, I remember my son telling me one day when I graduated with my degree in prison, he said to me, he said, you're my hero. And I said, what do you mean? I have a felony. What do you mean? How am I your hero? He was like, because look at how far you come. Hmm. And that is what drives him to be better. You know, and it's like, I never realized that me leading my example would be the driving force for my own child, despite what I've been through. So, you know, and it's just like, you know, that's just, you know, and I, and I've recently transitioned from a job that I was, the other job I was doing because I felt like I wanted to do more. Mm. 
I feel like I wanted to do more and I didn't really want to get so caught up in like the corporate world. I wanted to, I'm like a in your face, in the field, you know, like to go shake hand. I'm a hugger, you know? So that's why I had to get fully vaccinated because I'm like, <laughs> that type of I'm that type of person. Like I want to be there. I want to be able to share my story because what I realize is that when you're trying to help people, like say the people that's like a lot of, you know, minorities, people in the inner communities, if you can't relate to their struggle, they don't want to hear what you got to say. Right. You know? Right. So it's like the minute I'm like, listen, you're me and I'm you. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me help you. Tell me what I could do to help you, you know? And it's like, wait a minute. Wow. She is me. So, you know what I mean? Like I use that, my personal experience to my advantage to help other people. So I put myself out there, you know, every chance I get, you know, it's a, it's even being here today. Like I, I don't care how much I had to do today. I was going to be here because if I could just touch one person, you know, if I could just help somebody they say, you know what, just like you said, you said something earlier, just if somebody could take away something, it's rewarding for me because it means that I'm doing something right. I'm going in the right direction. I'm living my life the right way. You know, I could never change, you know, what happened when I was younger, but I am, I dictate my journey from thenceforth. And my thing is like, it's the sky's the limit. And, and, I'm the same person. If I could take as many people on my shoulders as I can, I'm taking them. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So I want to, I want to ask you a question. It might get a little <laughs> emotional, but I think it's okay. okay. Um, hearing your story, how does that make you feel? Um, it's, it makes me feel that I've come a long way. It makes me feel like, wow, Leah, you made it, you know, it, it, it because I think that my strength is, is is also strength for my mom who, you know, has been through so much. Like, I think my strength is, is strength for so many other women that's been through, you know, and it just makes me feel, it makes me feel great to know that I've been through so much and here I am now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, okay. So I want to transition a little bit. <laughs> to some of the amazing things that you're doing you're doing now um and and kind of just thinking back to to then to now and and how things are are unfolding and all the work that you're doing what if you could could share what was what get my questions together what does justice look like for women Ooh. I think, I I think we in the right, we going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I think that justice for women is going to take the efforts from women. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's going to take the fight from women and it's going to take a lot of fight from women who has been there. You know I mean? It's because we know what needs to be done. You know, we just gotta, we just gotta keep fighting, you know, and, and progress is happening to me. It's not happening fast enough, but Justice for women is just really about really just looking at the circumstances of each individual, you know what I mean? And not judging, you know, because I don't think we ever be in a judgment free world, but I just think that if people are in a position where you have to make certain decisions in regarding the lives of people, that you should take that into consideration. You know, if, if you can't, then maybe your profession is not for you, you know what I mean? But it, it you know, just looking at, 
how a decision could impact the individual, not just them, their families, you know, their communities, you know what I mean? Like just really taking everything into consideration and then figuring out what would be the best solution, what would be the best resource for each individual. To me, that would be justice for women, mm. you know, really, really providing the services that each individual requires, you know what I mean? And not just, you know, want to warehouse people and throw away the key and just figure, oh, okay, when their time is up, we release them and, and not provide the resources that they need to reintegrate. Right. You know, it's like just really touching every aspect of the wheel, you know, and just having this, this wheel, this merry-go-round just run evenly so that that way everybody is getting the services they need to become better. We all might stumble and fall, but it may not take going to prison, but wherever we at as a female, as a mother, as a sister, to just be able to receive the resources that we need when we need it, to know it's there, you know, and have somebody there to say, listen, we got you, and just help people through the process. I just think that it would just be so much better, and I think that there wouldn't be so many women going to prison, so many mothers, you know, I just think that it would just be just, you know, a better overall, overall, you know, society, you know, for women. And to me, it starts with the woman, you know, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're a male, like you were, you were, a woman had you, you know, so it's like, it's very important to tend to the needs of the female. Yeah. And something you mentioned earlier that I wanted to kind of to chat about a little bit is the organization you work for, has all women who have been impacted by the system. And we talk about sometimes how a lot of the policy and practice changes are made without women who have lived experience at the table. Um, tell us a little, talk a little bit about why that is problematic and then how do we start to kind of change that? How do we start shifting that? To me, it's problematic because it, they don't have, like if you don't have the experience, to you know in an area that needs to be changed what are what are your ideas going to be right you know if you're constantly if it's always somebody on the outside looking in your view is going to be always totally different from the person that has actually experienced it mm-hmm. you know and, and not to say it has to be all individuals who are system or trauma impacted it could be a collaboration but it also has to be Everybody has to be open-minded. It has to be that 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 forum to where you know maybe you know is like a flow of ideas to bring about a flow of re- of solutions. You know, so it's to me it's gonna take that. You know, because everybody brings something different to the table. But if 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 formerly incarcerated individuals are excluded, and you're trying to do something with prison reform, you're gonna be off the mark every time. Right. You know, so it's gonna take. Them having like that that input from the, the the formerly incarcerated community, you know, to get it right because we've lived it, you know, we've experienced it, and you know, when when they can realize that, fully realize that, then we can have like the the laws changing, like everything within the system will kind of like gel better because you know you have the people in power also working with the people who have the experience. So, you know, I mean, it's going to take a collaboration for that to to kind of like be the forefront of the solution, you know, process. Mm. So and, and with that, how do in talking about some of that, how what are ways we can start shifting the narrative and the conversation to gear it towards actually 
creating more intentional conversations and changes for women who have been system involved? I think that like, even like right now, like just with, with trying to change laws, getting bills passed, you know, um, just like really being seen and heard, you know, because it's like really, I mean, like right now I feel like, you know, it's a lot of movements out there that just really putting the work out for the work, you know? And um, I think that this is what it takes. It, it takes the fight, you know, it takes the fight. It takes a, the consistency, you know, it, it, you can't give up because that to me, I think that's what they look for. They look for, you know, for people to become tired, you know, and I think about back in the days when it was, was slavery, you know, I mean, if the slaves, you know, our ancestors were become tired, we probably would be slaves today. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, to me, it's like finding, you know, finding what it what needs to be done and not giving up, you know, to make it happen. Yeah, that's, that's like, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. real. Yeah. And it's sad. You know what I mean? Like if they, if the, if our forefathers say, you know what, Psst, I'm just going to give in. What, what, what would, what would it look like for us today? So it's like, we want to go and set something for the future generation. Like, you know, we have, we have kids, grandkids, you know, we have people that, you know, the youth. So it's going to take us to be that driving force to change, you know, because we have so much, so many more generations coming behind us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's real. (laughs) That's real. Um, So as we, as we kind of, kind of come to the end of this, I want to, to shift back a little bit to you and your experience and your elevation and all of the I love how you just said the transformation like that is just sticking in my head I just love 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 that um how has your your collaboration and creating programs and supporting women the ways in the way that you um have spoke about that is needed you know based on your experience how has that been a part of your healing journey because we talk a lot about trauma and healing and all of that. And to me, I just, I think that the, the, to me, what helps me is helping others. So I feel like, you know, for me, utilizing all the, the trainings, all of the, 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 the skills that I've acquired and like just using it to like run these groups, using it to whether it be like, you know, to put it to, in networking, you know, processes that I do with other organizations. I just think that everything that I do from the minute I open my eyes, I think everything that I do throughout my days, you know, has an impact on my healing process, you know, and of course, you know, I'm human. Some days are better than others, you know, and some days, you know, unfortunately for me, always putting myself on the back burner, sometimes I get burnt out, you know, so it's about, you know, recognizing that and then regrouping, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just trying to like, you know, not stay, you know, in, in, in a, in a funk to be like, you know, Oh, I'm just tired. And it, it's things like that motivation, like thinking about generations before me, like, what do you mean? You know, it makes me think about you. survive. I survived 22 years in prison. I can't, I can't, you know, deal with what's out here, you know? So it's like, it's, I, I look for, look for, you know, things to kind of like, um, rejuvenate my strength you know what it be like experiences from the past you know I've, I've survived it like i am a survivor of domestic violence i'm not a victim of domestic violence i am a survivor and my goal is to you know help other victims become survivors you know and just to and just to continue to empower them you know and it's like even empowering like you know the, the formerly cost my my peers 
You know what I mean? When you come out, it's like, you know, what we do, we take our peers shopping. You know what I mean? Like these are the little things, you know, take them out to eat. So it's like we we kind of, it's like a community. The community is such a beautiful community. It's such a supportive community. And, you know, it, it, it kind of took me a while to kind of like gravitate to the community because, you know, when I came home, it was like I went off and did my own thing. But me not realizing how supportive my formerly incarcerated community is, it I kind of like got to a point where I was stressed out. So I said, you know what? Let me be where I need to be, where I have that support, where I could give the support to others. And that's what kind of like rerouted my journey. And this is where I'm at now. And I'm like so, so comfortable, so happy and so motivated to like just, whew, I don't know. I, I just, yeah, so excited. And um, I, I'm excited to see all that I have within me to accomplish. You know, like, I don't even know. It's like, I'm excited to know what, what more God has in store for me. Like, let me know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, I know you talked a little bit about, uh, we talked earlier about like the social media thing and stuff like that and your journey kind of like after coming home and, and doing all of this stuff. How, if you could kind of look, I guess, look back at at, at the young woman who, who came home, what kind of advice would you give to her? I would, I would say, honestly, for me, I would say just, just take your time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because, you know, sometimes, I mean, like, like for, like I told you, me, I still don't have any social media. And I just feel like, because right now I I feel like that it takes a lot from a person Mm -hmm. and I want to be able to give more than it's taken from me. So I, yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I chose not to have social media. And um, I just feel like with somebody coming home, my advice to them is to really connect, connect with, you know, and the connection actually starts from the inside, you know, start making that connects, you know, when you come out with the community that is there to support you, you know, because we've all been there and we're there to support people transitioning from prison back into society and to utilize it. You know, if, if you need to come home, it's, it's programs that help you further your education. You know, so some people in, in society may not realize, yes, you have uh, formerly incarcerated individuals that have PhDs, masters, you know, and it's about it's there. You, you, it's there if you want it, you know, and, and the, we just want to encourage people when you come home. Like the goal is to be continue being your best self. You know, and whatever it takes, if you, you know, you have the support, you know, and to always keep to the forefront that returning to prison is not an option, mm-hmm. you know, and, and once you could keep that to the forefront, parole is going to be a breeze, probation is a breeze, because you already know that the system is designed to warehouse us. So now if we are a step ahead, they can't touch us. It's like they on our heels and we like uh, we 10 steps ahead. Yes, 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 absolutely. It's out there. There's no limit. You can achieve it. You can attain it. And I, I love that. I love that. So my last question for you is <laughs> in line with the topic of stepping into she, what does stepping into she mean to you? And what has been one way you've been able to do that? Um. Well, let me tell you, when I came home, I came home 40 something years old. It was like, you're too old to get a tattoo. So <laughs> I get a tattoo and my tattoo says, pressure makes diamonds. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And that, whew, that represents my journey. Um, and to me, that represents me stepping into she, mm-hmm. you know, my pressures, my experiences, you know, have created this beautiful gem. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm just going to continue to shine. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. You are shining for sure. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah, yes, oh, you thank are. you. You're welcome. Um, so so for all our listeners out there, I know you said you are located in New York. For for those listening who may want to get involved or want to be a support, an ally or an advocate, tell us some of the things that they can do, some of the things you have going on that they can get involved in. Um, and what's like a good next step? Okay, well, any any of the listeners listening out there, you could uh, reach out to a little piece of light. Um, Inc. is a nonprofit organization um, that you know. I mean, like we're doing so many great things. We're trying to like really help the women on the inside. We provided um, PPE for the inside. We're trying to like um, just focus on creating a safe space for you know the women, the young girls, women, gender fluid individuals. And, you know, you know, we just want to uplift people, empower them, and just like provide the resources and the support that they need. We, you know, so if anybody wants to get involved, they can reach out to, to me, Leah, L-E-A-H, at a little piece of light.org. And I can give you more information. I can tell you how to get involved. You, if you're in New York, we're located 356 Marcus Garvey Boulevard in Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy, do or die, Bed-Stuy. And um, we just do a lot. We, you know, we do a lot for the community because we know that, you know, it's, we, it takes a community, like they say, it takes a village to raise a child. And we, you know, we're right in the heart. I mean, we could have opted to go, you know, up in Manhattan and had, but we really wanted to be where the work is needed. So we're like in the middle of, of, of the fire, you know, and we, you know, like today we having a barbecue for the community just to show the community that we're there you know, to support and, um, you know, and, and, and if you have any loved ones that's incarcerated, you can reach out to us. We have a pen pal program where we have like churches that, you know, that, that sign up, members sign up to be able to give somebody that encouraging word, you know, like, and it's, it's not so much on a spiritual level. It's just about showing somebody that you have some support on the outside, you know, and, you know, I mean, like, so we just try to do a lot. You know, we send care packages to the women, you know, because it's something that it does something to someone where where you can like get your name called to go to the package room. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And just to be able to know that somebody is thinking about you, you know, so I mean, like we're here and and you can always reach out to Courtney and she'll like let you know how to reach out to me. If you, you know, if you didn't grab everything that I was saying (laughs) and um. Yeah, if you want to make a difference, listen, I got the I got the roadmap for you. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get the roadmap. We're going to get that to share with everyone, okay? Because we definitely need to elevate that and elevate this conversation for sure, for sure. Um, thank you so much, Leah, today for sharing your story with us and your experience and using that as a light for other women, for other people and pouring back into to those that need it by by not just being selfless, but also being transparent, open, and honest about your journey to be able to inspire others. So thank you so much for that. Oh, it was truly, truly, truly an honor. And I just, you know, I hope I can be a guest again. And Yes, uh, yes, we'll have part two, okay? That's right, that's right. <laughs> awesome.
Hey y'all, thanks for checking out this episode of the Stepping Into She podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And if you would like to check out the top five things I learned from this conversation and more, head over to my Instagram page, Stepping Into She, to check it out. You can also watch this interview under the IGTV icon on my Stepping Into She Instagram page. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. Also, feel free to DM me on Instagram for topics and conversations that you would like to hear under the Stepping Into She podcast. Thanks.